This is Brian Billis, and I'm glad to be joined by my partner, Dennis Green. Welcome to the Coach Show Podcast. Here we go. Well, we're getting down to it now, Denny, and it's kind of getting excited. Did you see the, the, the divisional divisions lining up in the conference playoff pictures beginning to take shape? Let's talk a little bit about the teams at the top and, and where they are right now and, and, and just what kind of chance they got to make a run of this thing. Of course, the Texans, Broncos, and Patriots have secured their divisions. The Ravens kind of backed into it. They, they've secured a playoff spot. They have not yet secured the division, but they have secured a playoff spot. And right now, the Colts and the Bengals would be in with the Steelers and Jets just on the periphery. So let's right. uh, let's talk about that with the Texans, Broncos, and Patriots and Ravens. Of that four, who do you think is the best? Well, you know, I, I think you'd say the Patriots, despite the fact that uh, they really got handed it to it last night, they still kept fighting on the way. They're, they're still, you know, a fabulous team. Uh, they have some problems at cornerback, definitely, but uh, they're a great team with Tom Brady. Uh, not sure they have what they want in the run game, but the Patriots you, you like a lot. You like the Texans, except maybe when they play somebody good. You know, I mean, they look like one of those teams. As long as they're not playing, say, the Patriots or probably the 49ers or somebody at that level, uh, you like them. You know, you think they're pretty good, but I'm just not sure that they have the capabilities to handle a real good team. I thought they did. I rode them two times against the good teams, and and uh, they did not play well at all against the good teams. Um, yeah, I, I think being at home is the key. Uh, if, if the Texans can hold on to that home field advantage, then I think that could change the equation. But I'm with you. If this gets flipped around or they have to go on the road, you certainly are more comfortable with both the Broncos, who had a huge win in Baltimore. That's a tough place to win. I don't yeah. care Baltimore's playing well or not, their defense isn't as good. That's a tough place to win, but you got to feel like the Broncos and Patriots can go on the road better than maybe the Texans can. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, the Broncos, what's interesting is it really was a good team. People said it was a good team, but they didn't have a quarterback, you know, and so you add a good quarterback like Peyton Manning, all of a sudden they look like an outstanding team. Clearly they are a team that is capable of beating the Patriots, you know, or the Texans. They're a team that's capable of going to the Super Bowl. They have that kind of talent because of what they can do defensively. Uh, when they're healthy at the receiving core, they can run the ball. Uh, and, of course, with Peyton Manning. So, uh, very impressive. Well, and, and when we talk about the final one of the four, the Ravens, boy, this is a team in a world of hurt right now. Last week we talked about them changing their offensive coordinator course it didn't do much they were just absolutely horrendous against the denver broncos the first half did not do a thing jim caldwell and calling the place for the first time which now puts them in a tough spot because obviously the confidence is kind of shot uh and this team has got the new york giants who after getting blown out by the atlanta falcons this is going to be a huge game you got to know new york's going to be vested in it they're playing new york at home or I should say, you know, they're playing in Baltimore, which, again, has been a tough place to play. But uh, New York's ability to run the ball, the Ravens, and then they finish up with Cincinnati. I can see the Ravens, uh, you know, maybe uh, finishing uh, finishing out the season without a win. Yeah, and, you know, and they clinch the playoff spot simply because, you know, Cincinnati, uh, 
and Pittsburgh are, are battling. Pittsburgh's only seven and seven. Cincinnati's eight and six. So I guess you might say Cincinnati would maybe have the advantage to a certain extent. The Broncos built a lead with with some momentum, and now they've really fallen off. And they, you're right, they could go, you know, lose the last three games, which would make a huge difference for them going into the playoffs. But they they did clinch, and I think that's the most important. Now they got to find a way to try to win the game. And I, you know what, I've been up and down with the Giants. I really have. Been I know we'll talk about it a little bit later. So I think they can beat the Giants simply because it, it could be, you know, that that Super Bowl thing has got to them. I mean, maybe they fight back and go, but then again, maybe they don't. And as you know, it's very difficult to go and then be as fired up about going to next year, no matter what anybody says. Yeah, to, the, to me the concern is I think the Giants may very well run the ball well against the Ravens because everybody is running the ball against the Ravens for all that Denver did. It was really the running game that made the difference. I mean, Peyton had a good game, but it's not like he had one of his 350-yard five touchdowns. I mean, they ran the ball right down the throat of the Baltimore Ravens, and that was a big part of it. And obviously, certainly New York wants to be committed to that kind of physical game and unique to this year. I don't know that the Ravens are quite up to that kind of physical game. It's going to be very interesting. You've got the Bengals holding off the Steelers. They play this week, and it's for all the marbles because – if the Steelers lose, then, then they're out of it. They're going to be 7-8. and eight. The Bengals would then go to 9-6. and six. Uh, They already have a playoff spot. And then they play the Ravens, who may have nothing to play for in that last game because their fourth spot in the playoffs is secure. Right. That goes back to my argument. I think we ought to recede the playoff picture. And you ought not to get an automatic home game just because you won the division. Uh, but the Cincinnati Bengals could be in great position if they can beat the Steelers this week. Yeah, and you know, it doesn't happen a lot. This is a case where it might happen. In fact, it looks like it will happen, but it doesn't happen a lot. But you hate to see a team just back in because they have the division and they, they win their division at 9-7 and seven because it's a weak division and then would get home field. That is not really what the league has been looking for. Uh, you know, and, and I think despite the Colts losing their game, of course, at, at that 9-5 and five record, that's still pretty impressive. And I think that they have uh, this week, you know, they've got to win. Who they, they play? Colts Kansas play. City. Yeah, you know, the Colts play Kansas City, so they're, they're going to win that ball game, and so that's going to give them their position at, at 10-5, and five, and I think that they could be dangerous. Yeah, and, and they'll never look at it that way because they're all about they want to go to the playoffs. They want to win a Super Bowl. But, you know, Indianapolis is playing on house money. They've so far exceeded the expectations of everybody that regardless what happens going forward, once they're in the playoffs, even if they're a one and done, they're going to have to consider that a successful year. So that, you know, I'm not saying that that, that is the way. It's certainly not that way for them, but they can certainly feel good about themselves. You know, Danny, four weeks ago I did the Steelers game. And, and that was as confident, as physical, as good a looking team as I have seen all year. And they have just fallen apart since then. What, what, what can we make of the Steelers? Well, I think part of it, I mean, you know, they, they were had to respond without Ben Roethlisberger, who, who got injured, and now he's back. I think maybe they relaxed a little bit, thinking that everything will be fine, that he's back. I still have not liked the secondary. I, I still I still think that the inability to cover, they play a lot of man coverage, and I think there's too many, you know, give-ups that they just can't stop people at all in the corner. And as you know, Troy is a great defender, but not, not as good a man coverage guy. And I, I think that, uh, you know, offensively, 
I think Haley and Roethlisberger are not necessarily, you know, on the same page. So I think it's a little bit of everything. Uh, you know, you know, they they have this ability to to be tough. You have to be tough. The head coach talks tough. I mean, Mike is talks tough. Everything is tough. But I just think that it's not that kind of a team. I think they had a chance to be. And, they're, you know, it's like cycles. You know, teams will get in a four- or five-game cycle, and they look the best. And, and we know that's the way the Ravens looked at one time. But then it doesn't take much. A couple things there, a couple things there, and all of a sudden you don't have that anymore. And, boy, it's very frustrating for a football coach, but it can happen. Yeah, and the Bengals are the, are the, the linchpin to this whole thing because they play the Steelers, then they play the Ravens. you got to like what the Bengals are doing. I am, and there were some comments made, uh, I've got the Philadelphia-Washington uh, Redskins game coming up, so I've been looking at that Cincinnati-Philadelphia game a good deal. And, and the point had been made on air a couple times. I like what Andy Dalton does, but he, he is playing a little conservative. It looks like he is playing not to make an error, and he's going to have to be a little more aggressive if there. Because, you know, the, the Steelers have had the Bengals number for a, for a long, long time. Bengals have got to feel good about their chances right now, but they're, they're not going to be able to back into it or just figure the Steelers aren't going to play well because they haven't played well of late. Right, and and I don't know how often since he, you know, goes into Pittsburgh and wins. You know, I mean, I, so I think that's going to be a, that's going to be quite a game, a great rivalry, and uh, I think it's going to be interesting. Of course, if Pittsburgh wins, that just means that they are still in the hunt. If Cincinnati wins, that means they are in the playoffs. So I think you've got two different contrasts there. Yeah, and Pittsburgh ends with Cleveland, which you've got to hope, although they did lose to Cleveland earlier, which was a surprise loss. But if they are able to get that and the Bengals have to play the Ravens again, and for the Steelers, it's, it's kind of an odd thing. they really got to hope that the Ravens want to play that game straight up to try to get the win rather than just lay down and let the Bengals have it. And that would, uh, that would certainly then knock the Steelers back out. So the right. Steelers have a better schedule, but it's a little bit dependent upon a Raven team that really – now, going forward, doesn't have a whole lot to play for. There's no way they're going to improve their seed. They're definitely in the playoffs. It'll be interesting to see how the Ravens approach their games, although they certainly want to get some momentum, uh, how they how they approach their games going forward. Let's switch over to the NFC a little bit. Uh, this is, uh, you know, obviously the Packers are coming off a good, solid win against the Bears. The Falcons totally demolished New York, and they've got to feel, I think, I think they got two monkeys off their back. A couple weeks ago, they beat New Orleans on a Thursday night game. They needed to to check that box off. And the team that totally dominated in the playoffs last year, the Falcons just dominated and shut out. Um, that that's got to really help this Falcon team. I think it, it it really will, you know. And they ran the ball so much better, and I think that's the one thing that people have been waiting to see. I mean, it, you know, are you only going to rely on this passing game and rely on being at home with that passing game, or can you indeed, you know, get out there and run the football and and be really aggressive? And and I thought that this was probably by far their best game near, even though they when, when you've got the kind of record they have, they've had some good games this year. But I think this was clearly their best one. Yeah, I mean, you'd like to see that, that running game get cranked up. I'm concerned about the, the uh, Michael Turner not being the physical presence he was before, but certainly Matt Ryan is hot. And, and Mike Nolan, you know, what he's done with that defense, it's hard for me to imagine he won't be on a lot of people's list for these head coaching changes that we'll go through here uh, in a week or so. Kaepernick in the gun. Randy Moss wide to the right. Crabtree left. Kaepernick. 
Raises his knee, a blitz shown, blitz comes. Kaepernick hangs, fires, throws, left side, caught. Beat a tackle, 30, sideline left, 20. Crabtree's going to score. Touchdown, San Francisco. The 49ers have regained the lead at 37-31 on a kickoff return and a quick pass to Crabtree. Let's talk. I, I got to tell you, that 49er, I, I did the game Tampa Bay at New Orleans, which was just a terrible game. Flew back from New Orleans, which is not an easy place to get out of. Got home just as that game was kicking off. And, uh, and I got to tell you, I watched every second of that game. That was an incredible game to watch with the 49ers. If they had just continued on and blown them out 40-3, to I don't think it would have been impre- as impressive as them you know, letting Pittsburgh get back into it and then rallying back and getting the win. Yeah, I think, yeah, simply because the Patriots, you know, they're not going to give up. Tom Brady's not going to give up. Bill Belichick is not going to give up, even though a lot of things had gone wrong for him. And now all of a sudden, a lot of things had to go right. They had four turnovers in that game. That was more than they had the whole season playing at home. And and I think that uh, the 49ers were very opportunistic. They took advantage of every opportunity that they had, and they scored when they had those opportunities. So it was great. But you just knew that, that Brady was going to come back, but no one, I don't think, knew they would come back to that fashion, come back and literally tie the game up from playing that kind of football. So it was a great game. The 49ers are impressive, but they also show defensively if they don't really focus – that they can be had because they what they look like in the first half in comparison to what they look like in the third and fourth quarter was night and day. Yeah, I think they wore out a little bit, clearly. And, and I think, you know, you're only going to fool, not that they fooled them, don't get me wrong, but you're only going to fool Tom Brady so long. He's going to adjust. And I think that's what we saw in that game. He got a sense of, of where he could go, how he could manipulate what they were doing defensively. And then even when, when uh, San Francisco scored, they scored quick. And so that put that defense back on the field, and it was. But boy, it's such a such a compelling game. Of course, I live here on the East Coast, and when you'll stay with the game up to about one o'clock in the morning, you know, <laughs> you know that's a pretty good game. You also have to be impressed with what the Redskins did. Obviously, without uh, RG three, and I think Mike Shanahan took a calculated risk, feeling that they could beat the Cleveland Browns with Kirk Cousins. I, I don't know that for a fact, and he was maybe sure that RG three could or could not play. Uh, but uh, but you, you, they crafted a game plan that could have accommodated either Kurt Cousins or a RG3 that was going to be limited in his ability to run that, that pistol offense. Yeah, and I think that was a key thing. They, they went from center, uh, and they, they enabled themselves to have the threat of the run, the stretch run game, the play action off of the stretch, you know, for, force them to, to count off guys in the box. You hand it off, uh, count off guys in the box, make them come up, support the run, play action fake behind it. Uh, he only ran the ball a couple times, so that wasn't part of it, and I, I thought they did a great job with it. You know, it's that same old thing. A team like Cleveland – will beat you if you are not focused. They're not really good enough to beat you if you've really come to play. They've won some games, not taking anything away from them. They've won some games all against people who are looking beyond them, who really didn't come to play, who hadn't made up their mind they were going to play. And so in that regard, I'm complimenting them because I don't think they're extremely talented, but I do think that they love the game and they play hard. And so I, I think that there, there had to be that focus here. Washington had that focus. It also is that opportunity time where Shanahan is able to sell, look, guys, we said this would be the year that we make the playoffs. We haven't been there yet. 
Now here's how we do it. And when you can explain to a team what's going to happen and how you make the playoffs and it makes sense, and it does, and it did, you're going to get your best effort out of that team, and that's what Washington had. Yeah, I have them this week against Philadelphia, and I had their first Philadelphia game at home where they just dismantled Philadelphia. Be interested to see. Obviously, they're going to feel very good all but going on the road. And I got to take my hat off to Jim Haslam, defensive coordinator. I mean, you you lose Brian Arakpo, you lose Adam Carricker. Um, they they on offensively they lose Fred Davis to the tight end position. Defensively, they lose Cedric Griffith. They lose a lot of people on that defensive side of the ball and have really kind of they're okay. They're not great defensively, but they're they're good and and, and doing okay. Now I don't know how they're going to hold up against the Packers or the Falcons or the 49ers, but you just got to be impressed with what they're doing. Seattle's kind of the team everybody's kind of keeping an eye on because, boy, they just keep rolling. And uh, uh, Russell Wilson, what a great story. He's, he's now transcended that. Well, he's just a rookie and unexpected <laughs> success. He's doing so great. And the Vikings and their ability to run the ball with absolutely no passing offense whatsoever. There's eight, nine, Adrian Peterson's got to feel like when he gets the ball handed to him, he's looking at the team picture of whatever team he's playing, because there's eight, nine, 10, 11 guys right there waiting Well, for they really are. It's the old-fashioned running game, which means that, you know, some guys have to take on more responsibility, that he will break tackles, don't give him a clean shot. Uh, we have to, you know, we have to block nine guys in the block, which means we have to stack better, which means that some guys are left by themselves more. And But, but what he clearly can see, he can see that 2,000 yards. And I think the best way for them to win is for him to get that 150-plus yards in the last two games and will break that 2,000-yard rushing mark, which is incredible. The passing attack is not there. They've lost Percy Harvin. So there are a lot of things that have not gone right for him. But, I mean, for him to come back, and people have said, come back, Player of the Year, Peyton Manning. They love him. Everybody loves Peyton Manning. But how do you not give it to, to to Adrian Peterson when you are a running back and you lead the field in November the year before and you're back playing in August the next year? You know, on a multi, uh, you know, uh, total reconstruction of the knee. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. Well, uh, Two awards. They ought to give an MVQ for most valuable quarterback because that's a whole <laughs> different category. And then give an MVP because you're right. Uh, obviously, a guy like Adrian Peterson, what a spectacular year. Yeah, it really is. Now, I tell you what, the Seattle, and I think the, the other part on it is that, you know, they say, okay, this is the prototype quarterback. You know, uh, RG3, you know, 6'3", almost 6'4", uh, Cam uh, Newton, you know, 6'5", almost 6'6", and everybody's big and tall. And then, you know, you've got 5'10". He may, They say he's 5'11". I don't think he is. You know, uh, Russell Wilson, what a competitor, a great competitor, uh, an ideal player. This guy has taken a, the, the number one free agent last year, unrestricted free agent in, in Joe Flynn, and has not allowed him to get on the football field. And so Seahawks, I think his personality kind of fits uh, Pete Carroll. I think that Pete always has a little chip, you know, on his shoulder, and that's just the way he is. We've known him for years. And, uh, you know, Russell Wilson's got that, that chip on his shoulder. He's always out to prove that uh, that I can do everything that you need me to do. And so, you know, again, it's fabulous. Now, next up, it's going to be contrast for them. You know, they're going to play San Francisco at home. And at home, they are very, very tough. And so the 49ers are going to have their hands full going into Seattle 
playing against that, quote, 12th man, those those crazy fans up in Seattle, with Kaepernick, who's 6'5", <laughs> and a second-year player, first-year starting, though, going up against against uh, Wilson. That That's going to be fun. Well, I, and here's an interesting scenario for you. If, if the playoffs were today, and, and again, Seattle, you can kind of look at like Indianapolis and say, well, boy, what a great year. They got the rookie quarterback. What are your expectations? Anything they do is going to be a positive. But as I'm looking at this now, and I get to do a playoff game for Fox, and you look at the current rank, uh, 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 rankings, which would be Atlanta, San Francisco, one and two, Green Bay, then Washington, Seattle, and Minnesota in. That means Seattle goes to Washington. And I can see Seattle being able to go to Washington, match up well, particularly with the matchup with what they can do offensively against the defense of the Redskins. And then, you know, this San Francisco game, they, they lost to San Francisco and San Francisco 13-6. to And that was – they're a different team right now. Russell Wilson's playing much better. They showed that that defense can play with San Francisco. Uh, they're certainly not going to be afraid of going into San Francisco and playing. And I can see them being very confident going into Atlanta. So Seattle could be a very interesting playoff team. Right. People ought to make sure they check out Jeff Darlington's Statement Sunday column on NFL.com about all the big matchups coming from Week 15. Jones wide to the left side. They've got a wing set up on the right offset eye in the backfield from the six first and goal. Rodgers throws the left side back to him. Uh, Touchdown! <laughs> oh, my goodness! What a beautiful, precise throw to the left corner of the end zone. For the touchdown to James Jones, his third. And I mean, the coverage was right there. Let's go to a team we, we kind of just passed by, but the Green Bay Packers, they're also beginning to have a little bit of a feel of that team that is gaining some confidence. I still worry about their offensive line a little bit. I worry about their inability to run the ball. They haven't had a 100-yard rusher in 41 games. But still, uh, you talked about a confidence at quarterback. Uh, Rodgers seems to be in that rhythm, and when he now can get – he just got Jennings back. When they can get Jordy Nelson back and be at full strength, Green Bay could be that team that all of a sudden now has kind of flown under the radar, and that's the team everybody's got to watch. I think so. I, you know, they'll get that one home field. I think the issue will be, though, when they go on the road with, with that line, I, I, I think they will struggle at Atlanta with that Atlanta crowd and the noise that that Atlanta crowd will create for their line because that is their weakness. And, you know, they have not had some of these huge offensive games like some of the other teams have had now, you know, taking advantage of these the weak defenses play right now in the NFL. Now, we know part of that is without the running game, you mentioned they're using all kind of backs. Even Grant was playing a, a lot yesterday. And they haven't had the health that you want to see at receivers. But I think they're a fabulous team, but I think they could have trouble on the road in that second round. Yeah, if it, if, it, if it went as it does right now, let's say the, the, the top seeds hold, that would be Washington and Atlanta and Green Bay at San Francisco. And that physicality of the 49er teams probably is, is the toughest mismatch because of that physicality for Green Bay. I think they would have a tough time going into San Francisco. Yeah, I think so. And and I, and I you know, <laughs> you've got me convinced now at Atlanta at home. Let me tell you what, if Atlanta's playing home, the way that that uh, their record has been, uh, the the way Matt Ryan's home what what the heck is it Matt Ryan's home record what is it uh, oh, yeah. forty eight and four or something or you know, something you know I, I think if they can get that best record and get that home field I think they might be the team. Yeah, and that and being on that turf for that defense, the one thing that defense does have that Mike Nolan got cranked up that amoeba defense. 
they do have some pretty good speed. Yeah. Uh, speed, and they swarmed the ball as well as any defense I've seen. And now that enhances their ability to put pressure on a little bit defensively. And uh, Jacquez Rogers, I think, becomes more of a factor for them. Not that Michael Turner won't be the lead back. But his explosiveness shows up a little bit more on the turf as well. Yeah, I think so. And so they're they're, they're impressive. So you know, I I just think that the Packers they look good. Falcons look great. Forty ers uh, Redskins. I mean, all those ones are going to be in there. Uh, we talked about the Vikings and Seahawks, and then last, I guess we'd say the Bears and the Cowboys and Giants. Who gets? Who gets that other wild card? Is it the Vikings? Is it the Bears? Is it the Cowboys? Is it the Giants? And all three of those teams are 8-6. and six. And so I think with two games ago, this is what the NFL loves because the Vikings are a high-profile team. Chicago is our third city, the third largest city, and it's a team that's you know noted for playing winter-type football. And you've got the Chicago Bears, and then you've got them going to, to uh, Arizona this week to play and, and and then playing at Detroit. And then you also have the Cowboys, who Jerry Jones says, if we get in the playoffs, we can do what the New York Giants did last year, which is, you know, go and and win a championship. I think they're going to have their hands full home this week against New Orleans. And we know they'll have their hands full at, at Washington. But this is excitement for the National Football League. And then the Giants, who, I like I said, I just think – I'm not sure it's there this year. I think at Baltimore, I mean, if they were going to win a game and get their ninth win, it will be at Baltimore because Baltimore is is really struggling. And then Philadelphia and Philadelphia, I mean, you know, when it's time to play that game, as much as we love Andy Reid, the guys will have their car engines running. I mean, they won't even take time. They'll load their cars up. They'll load everything up. And as soon as they come off the field, they're going to hit the road. So they can win that game. The question is, can they beat Baltimore? And I assume now if they win the two games, does that mean the Giants are in? Or is it still what well, that's happened with the Vikings? No, the Giants, yeah, the Giants. The Giants need help to win the division. They can control their their playoff picture based on the interesting thing. Uh, Chicago's got the easiest path. They've got Arizona and Detroit. You know, Dallas, right. North, and Washington, like we talked about. Minnesota's got a tough one now. They got Houston and Green Bay. Right. And, and what is Green Bay playing for at the time? And that's certainly going to be a factor. Uh, but Minnesota probably has the tougher path. Chicago of all of those teams probably has the easiest path, although they're the ones that are playing the worst right now. Absolutely. A lot of of confidence in the Bears. Out of the timeout by Atlanta. Here's Matt looking to throw. Fade for Julio Jones. Touchdown around Corey Webster. I think he caught it one-handed, Wes. It is 33 to nothing, Atlanta. Second and 13 from the Buccaneer 34-yard line. Breeze in the shotgun. Morgan and Colston to his left. He's going to throw it deep downfield for Morgan. Morgan takes it in at the five, and he will score a touchdown. This offense for the Saints has shown more wrinkles than the Rolling Stones here this afternoon. That is a 34-yard touchdown strike to Joseph Morgan running right past D.J. Biggers. I want to talk about also uh, something interesting as I'm watching it. Um, When you look at the games this week, it was kind of odd. I mean, we're, we're in the playoff hunt, and most of the games had, you know, what teams were, not very few, I think there were only three or four games that had both teams involved in the playoff chase. Most of them had a team that was after it. Uh, we had a lot of shutouts, which can happen, obviously, when you're talking about uh, uh, teams where someone's got something on the line and someone doesn't. But the thing that jumped out at me, we had a ton of 30-plus point scored games, 
and a bunch of shutouts. Yeah. I mean, that's the, I mean, teams getting shut out that much. You know, the Giants got shut out by Atlanta, which was very much a surprise. The game I was in was Tampa Bay and New Orleans. The fact that, that New Orleans defense could shut someone out. Um, obviously, you're looking at the Raiders and, and, and the Chiefs, and that's not a surprise to anybody. But how many teams scored 30 and 40 points? It's, this doesn't sound like December football in the NFL. No, it doesn't. I think it, it, unusual would be a kind of, you know, where you played and and who you played. You know, I think that, that probably had something to do with Atlanta. Had the Giants at home, and we talked about Atlanta's, you know, incredible, you know, record. Uh, you know, Baltimore had a home game against Denver, but Denver treated them, you know, like like they weren't there. Tampa Bay has they fallen off. I mean, they they had a home game against uh, at, no, they were at New Orleans, and so New Orleans, you know, was still felt at the time that they had a legitimate shot. Um, I think it is a little unusual, and and part of it, I guess, would be, you know, in some ways, you look at the league and you and you think that oh, guys aren't playing good defense and they're not doing this and that. But when it's all said and done, it's a great product. It's extremely entertaining, and for the most part, it's very competitive. And and so I think that's the case, except for a couple of those shutout games. They were very competitive games this weekend. Let's talk about a couple quick coaching decisions um, with Mike McCarthy doing in a very tight game, a couple unique things uh, that kind of left them vulnerable, mainly because it didn't work. As you know, if they work, that's great. If they don't, you're kind of an idiot. And let's let's compare that to Pete Carroll going for it um, uh, on a safe punt up 30 points against Buffalo. And he can be criticized for that and whether he was running it up. But let's talk about the decisions we go through as coaches as to whether we're going to use these types of trick plays. Yeah, you know what? Uh, you there's we know there's two reasons to use it. One, you know, you can use a trick play in a really close game that's going to help you maintain possession of the ball or take advantage of something defense does. And I'm going to tell you what: if you if you try that trick play, then you've got some guts. You've got some huge guts, and you better hope it works. Otherwise, you look like the village idiot. The other way is to show the trick play when you know the team that you're trying against can't score. Try the trick play when you know the team you're going against is almost kind of thrown in the towel. And you know you're going to have a great probability of success when you use that trick play. And then by having that trick play, you scare the team that you're going to play next. And after that and after that, and they have to prepare for it to take away their aggressiveness. I think that's the way most trick plays. They're used as a deterrent because most guys don't have the courage, and I know I didn't, to call a trick play when it really has the game on the line. Yeah, when Pete Carroll does it up 30 points, and he kind of backtracked from it and felt bad about it, so it was kind of an automatic thing that kind of got away from him. And, and you got to take Peter's word, I guess. Um, but you can make the case, you know, yeah, I'm going to get it on film. I'm going to make you prepare for it, like you said, uh, the teams that are coming down the way. Mike McCarthy's the one that you got to applaud for. He felt like they, they could get it and took a shot. It's kind of like the Sean Payton play in the Super Bowl when he opened up with that onside kick. I mean, that you talk about having some guts now because that was either going to go down as an absolute stroke of genius or 
you were going to go down as the dumbest coach in the history of Super Bowl. <laughs> You've given Peyton Manning and the Indianapolis Colts team a short field and a chance to get back in the game. Well, that's why they didn't expect it. And I, and I think that's the one where you say, I mean, in theory, you can say we're going to do this and we're going to try that. And if it's there, we're going to take it and we're going to shock those guys. And, and that's a shock that a lot of times the team can't get over. When a team will go out there and on, you're supposed to get the ball and you don't get the ball, they get the ball, they might not recover from that shock. Yeah, um, I'm going to change gears again. We saw with the Steelers losing and Ben Roethlisberger, and this has been kind of brewing all year long with Todd Haley and what's that relationship. We just came off a week where Cam Cameron was fired in Baltimore in some part, I think, because of the lack of relationship with his quarterback, Joe Flacco. Of course, they go out with Jim Caldwell's first game as a coordinator and just, you know, stink it up and just cannot do a thing, get blown out by Denver. So now there's serious questions about where does Baltimore go offensively when head coach John Harbaugh makes that kind of dramatic change and the result is what it was against Denver. Uh, Todd Haley and Ben Roethlisberger seem to be kind of at each other at a very perilous time. And let's remember now, Mike Tomlin fired Bruce Arias, a very popular coach by the players and, and obviously very much upset uh, Big Ben when he let Bruce Arians go. And by the way, Bruce Arians is doing pretty good running that <laughs> Indianapolis club right now. Puts a lot of pressure uh, obviously on Mike Tomlin now because his choice to be the coordinator isn't getting along with his quarterback, and they're sitting here at 500. Well, you know, and I, and I think, I mean, you don't know what the rumor mirror is, but the rumor mirror would be maybe that Bruce uh, was really tight. We know he was tight with Ben Roethlisberger. We know that. But that Bruce, you know, has a style. The guys like him. He's, you know, he's doing well. But they didn't have maybe as much firepower as they thought. And Haley's got a reputation for, you know, being pretty aggressive, you know, uh, aggressive, not necessarily play call, but aggressive in how he coaches, aggressive in how he gets the players to play and so forth. And when you bring a coach like that that's in contrast, coaches are in contrast, you're basically saying we didn't have that and we should have had that, so we're going to have this kind of a coach. And I just think that Ben has not responded to it. And the number one way is what Ben has always thought he sees – you know, he sees himself, Peyton Manning's at the line, calling plays. He sees himself, Tom Brady, at the line, you know, calling plays. He even sees, you know, Andrew Luck at the line, no huddle, calling plays. And he wants to do more, no huddle, at the line, calling plays. And it's implied that Todd is uh, too, uh, too much in charge that he doesn't want to give you the leeway to, to be a gunslinger, that he's got to be the guy and and doesn't give him a chance to really open up and be, you know, be himself. And he mentioned that once Dinkin and Duncan passes, where he likes to go, quote, down the field. We all know, I mean, it's, you know, offenses are offenses. But he's also made that point for the second time about, you know, having to huddle and call plays when he really thinks that they should have been in a no huddle to put pressure on the team and him find the opening. So there, there is a little bit of a battle going on there, and a lot's going to depend on how they finish up because, you know, Tomlin made the call, and the question is, did he hire the right guy? Some people some people were surprised, to be honest with you. Uh, Haley was the, uh, was the offense coordinator with Arizona when they went to the Super Bowl. Got a lot of credit for that, that offense. He was coaching uh, – Kurt Warner, and then uh, he got the head job at Kansas City, 
and that one did not go so well. He was there two years and, and then got let go, and so now he comes back and is ready to earn his spurs again as an offensive coordinator, and evidently Ben doesn't quite agree with that. Yeah, and this was really the first real outside hire that Tom made when he came to Pittsburgh. He kind of inherited Dick LeBeau, which is a pretty good thing to inherit. He inherited Bruce Aarons. He inherited uh, Ben Roethlisberger. So uh, kind of odd, this long into his coaching tenure, and he already has a Super Bowl, and yet this is really the first big coaching hire he's had to make. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to come under scrutiny. Let's talk about a couple fourth-and-one decisions that coaches had to make in a couple games. Let's start with the New York Giants in Atlanta, Tom, Co- Tom Coughlin going for it. Couple fourth and ones, um, still in the game. You know, with 17 nothing, Atlanta was up and down the field and kind of turned down the points. That now, in hindsight, when you get beat 34 nothing, you kind of go, "Ooh, boy, maybe I should have taken those points." Yeah, well, you know what? I I've gone for it a few times, I guess you'd say. And when I got it, I felt like, okay, good gutty move. Sometimes you go for it on fourth down, and then later on, you still have got to kick the field goal. But I tell you what, when I've gone for it and didn't get it. I thought I was really not a smart move to make at all. Uh, I mean, at all. And and look back and saying, hey, I should have taken the points. You know, even if it's 17-3, to 3, they get a field goal. Even if it's 20-6, to 6, at least you've reduced it now down to two scores, two touchdowns, and you are right back in the ball game. And I think that was the case even there. If the Giants score a field goal to get the points, then they are, it's a two-score a two game. And, you know, they had themselves back in hunt. And I always like to equate it this way. You know, when you go fishing, the hardest fish to catch is the very – first one and a lot of times if it's going to be a tough game you're on the road atlanta they're tough to beat they've got an incredible home record we mentioned it already the first points to score are going to be the most difficult kick that field goal take the three points and i would if i was coaching i would try to say that real fast hey guys we need the points everybody we go for a coach's fourth and yard we need the points boom just like that you know and take the points i love your fishing analogies i love it <laughs> You know, on the flip side of that, I would say that I think Tom Coughlin recognized, you know what, I don't think field goals are going to get it. And he was right. You know, chipping away at field goals and then giving up 34 to the, to the uh, Falcons wasn't going to get it. I agree with you. It's in hindsight that you look at it, but that goose egg, uh, what that does to an organization, that devastates you. Uh, you can't just dismiss a shutout. No. That's a tough one now he's going to have to deal with going forward. Tom Coughlin will find a way to motivate it. But I can at least see the thinking on his part. Look, this Atlanta team's been kind of up and down the field. They're looking pretty good. They're at home. I'm going to need more than three points. That's why I'm going for it on fourth and one. And then, of course, in that game we already talked about with Bill Belichick, down on his own 12-yard line, a little over two minutes to play, goes for it on a fourth and two. That again, you could say, well, you had enough timeouts. Why don't you punt it, play good defense, and then give, uh, give yourself a chance then. But I don't know. If I got Tom Brady on a fourth and one or two, I got to feel like my chances are pretty good. Yeah, you do. But you know what? If you don't get it, the game is over. I mean, that's so 212, the game's probably going to be over with very few seconds left. You know, I mean, you got you to punt. You got to stop them. You, you, you had two timeouts left. You've got the two-minute also, so you had three ways to stop the ball. You're going to get the ball back. If you stop them, you get the ball back with 40, 45 seconds to have a chance. If you go for it and you don't get it, the game is over because the ball's on the 12-year line. They don't have to do anything. They kick a field goal, and now it's two scores, and that's what happened. The other surprising part was that they throw the ball. So, again, at fourth and one, if that, I mean, you want to be in a look a back in the backfield or something where you got at least a threat to run, then maybe throw a hitch. But they tried to hitch on the 
outside. And that's that one, you know, you get to say the only guy that doesn't practice hitches are the running backs. Tight ends practice the hitch in the bat and pat and go. Receivers, every one of them do. But the running backs hardly ever practice running the, the five, the hitch meeting, the five-yard stop route. And that's what the, the, the running back ran, and he was not on the same page with Tom Brady on the throw. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I go the other way in terms of I take my chance with Tom Brady, but I'm with you in terms of they weren't a no-back. They, they shifted Woodhead out to the uh, outside receiver, and when you got Aaron Hernandez and you got Wes Welker and you go to Woodhead, yeah, i got to scratch my head a little bit. Or the fact, just leave them back in the backfield, at least give the defense a presence of a possible run. That's going to affect them on the outside as well. So I don't know that I'll question him going going for it, but no. I will question the play call in just a little bit. And and also, you know, with with if it is if it is Denver and it's Peyton Manning, you know, Peyton will if you've got all those guys spread out thinking pass, Peyton will hand that ball off. I mean, he basically he operates off of the numbers in the box. If you've only got six guys in there, we can run and pick up a yard. You have that option to call that run play and hand it to him and pick it up. When you're in that uh, total uh, uh, empty backfield, meaning the back is out, nobody to run. The only thing you can do is run a quarterback sneak, and so you don't have that run threat. Well, at the very least, it is getting interesting. We're going to have a great uh, final two games of the season and have a great run here on the uh, Coaches Show podcast and the Coaches Show through the playoffs. Should be fun. That's going to do it for the Coaches Show podcast. You can download the Coaches Show podcast from iTunes. Go to NFL.com slash podcast. Also, be sure to catch Denny and I on the Coaches Show on the NFL Network every Monday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for listening, everyone.